Hello, and welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast for Edgewood Church in Danville, Illinois. This week at Edgewood. All right, so let's start, uh, let's start with some prayer this morning. Dear Jesus, um, I thank you that once again we can be here this week, God. Um, I've made it an effort this week to, to pray that um, you would have me speak exactly what you wanted me to say, God. Um, despite how nervous I am and what I may forget or what I may remember, God, help it to be exactly what you would want. Um, we know that you're here today, God. I pray that you would, you would move through this sermon. Um, in your name, amen. amen. All right, so um, we are going to start today in John 13, specifically verse, uh, verses 12 through 17. So verse 12, um, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. All right, so I want you to keep that passage in the back of your mind, because we're going to be hitting on that a couple different times throughout the sermon. Um, But for now, I want you to think about something else. So how many of you have ever had a really annoying family member? Uh, Yeah, I I, I figured some hands would come up over here. (laughs) Yeah, how many of you, just a family member that, you know, no matter what you do, family reunions, whatever it is, they are just kind of a burden to be with. And I'm not looking at my brother right now, I promise. (laughs) I'm kidding, Joe. Um, And then how many of you have ever had maybe your car break down before? I know this is true, all right, because we've had a lot of car prayer requests before. So I know many of you have had your car break down before. I know I have, just recently, in fact. Um, and then lastly, how many of you have ever had a political disagreement of some sort? I know a lot of you have Facebook, so this isn't, you know, this is not hiding behind any barriers or anything. So I want you to start asking yourself, right? How have you dealt with these issues before? Start thinking about it. How has, how have you dealt with these? What have you said? How have you dealt with people? Have you responded in a godly way that's glorifying? Or have you responded in a way that glorifies yourself? I want you to start thinking about that, all right? Um, I know in times when I've been in these spots, I have not dealt with it very well. Uh, I used to be a political science major. I think I said this last time I preached too, but and in political science majors, we don't tend to be the most friendly people in the world, <laughs> just to be clear. Um, and so, but then that's made me start to think, okay, so I'm clearly not dealing with these very well, right? Every time my car or something else goes wrong, I tend to get frustrated. In fact, the power steering fluid on my car is low, and I got a little bit mad about that this morning. My dad can tell you, because he was in the car. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I have not responded with these very well. So I started thinking, okay, well, how should I be responding to these, right? Because there is a right way to respond to situations that come up. You know, we know this because we are Christians, and according to God, there is right ways to respond. Um, It turns out, to figure this out, he gave us a manual, the Bible. That's right. Um, And not just a manual, but also an example to follow, too, in Jesus. Um, So I started to think, okay, well, so he gave us two different ways to learn about how to respond correctly to problems that come up in our lives, right? And I started to to realize, well, 
hmm, this sounds a lot like a phrase I used to use all the time and I've heard all the time. What would Jesus do, right? I think all of you know that. This has been a pretty popular thing in the past like 20, 30 years or so. Um, but I also know that it's super overused and very cliched at this point because a lot of people use it just to mean very surface level, you know, like, oh yeah, just do the right thing and you'll be all right. WWJD, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I like in my mind to reference them as the WWJD hippies that used to be around all the time. They had all the bracelets on and stuff like that. Um, but after I started to think about it a little bit more, all right, there, there is a lot of depth to what would Jesus do? To that phrase, what would Jesus do? Um, so I started to look in the history of the phrase, right? So, you know, I'm trying to figure out, like, where did this start? I thought it had started about... I don't know, 20, 30 years ago, something like that, around the 90s, 80s time. Um, but actually, this is something that has been prevalent for like centuries now. Uh, not necessarily in the form of WWJD, like you didn't see Paul going around saying, WWJD guys, let's go. No, that's not what he did. But this was a theme that was present. Um, and specifically, the, you know, there's been a lot of pastors, a lot of teachers, a lot of Christian theologians that have brought this up. And in, actually, in 1418, there was a book called Imitatio Christi, I think that's how you say it, uh, by Thomas Kemper, who was essentially writing a book about how to accurately imitate Christ in our lives. And that's, that's what would Jesus do, right? Going through your life asking, what would Jesus do? Um, they saw that we're supposed to imitate Christ. And it's also in our name, isn't it? Because we think of, of what Jesus said and what Paul said, and it ended up being Christians, right? That's our name, Christian, and that means little Christ. We've talked about this a hundred times before. I know he loves to bring that up on, on many different sermons. Um, and, uh, you know, we're called to be little Christ. That's literally what our name means. And I want you to think about that, all right? Because that's not something you want to gloss over. We are called to imitate Christ in our very name and in what Jesus said in this, in this passage. Um, so this, I, uh, this idea of, of WWJD is integral to our Christian faith, if you think about it. Um, it goes back to even Christ, like I said, saying it there. In, in, in the WWJD, though, when we think about it, it sounds all nice and dandy, right? Like, it's, it's, it's super nice, like I've been saying, like the WWJD hippies. But, and traditionally, it's very surface level. But I really want you to start thinking, okay, what does this mean? What does it really mean to imitate Christ? Like, how are we supposed to live that out, right? So let's take a look at how Christ lived his life so we can figure out, okay, so if we're supposed to imitate Christ, if we're supposed to ask ourselves, what would Jesus do? Okay, so let's figure that out, all right? Um, Jesus lived his life perfectly, died on the cross, got resurrected, and then went back to heaven. The end. Okay, well, hold on. That, that doesn't sound right, because I, I don't know about you guys, but I'm certainly not perfect. I don't think you guys are either. <laughs> I think we all have our fair share of sin. Um, and to be able to imitate perfection that Jesus set an example for, right? Right, I mean, it says it right there, right? If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given to you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. What did Jesus do for us? Well, he was perfect, and he saved us from our sin. So how are we supposed to imitate that? Um... And this idea that we're all sinners, right? Because we're all sinners, there's no way we could match that perfection. Well, that sounds like another verse, doesn't it? Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I think I have... Yeah, I have that up there. Um, so how are we supposed to live like Christ if he was perfect, right? We are very clearly, by the Bible, we are not perfect people. 
all of us have sinned, all of us will sin, all of us are sinning, and we have fallen short of the glory of God. So how are we supposed to get out of this dilemma that I presented you with? Um, well, we are stuck in this cycle. It's really what it is. It's a cycle of sinning, asking for forgiveness, and then going right back to sinning, right? And not imitating Jesus. Uh, and sometimes it gets so bad we can even feel, when we see this dilemma, we can even feel like we aren't even Christians. Like, I, you know, I'm supposed to be imitating Christ. So why do I keep sinning? How does it keep coming back to this? Um, and even on a daily basis, we fail. Uh, we begin to think about how, how we sin daily while Christ has not sinned a, a single time. In his entire life, Christ never sinned. And that's impossible for us to measure up to. So how is this acceptable? How is it acceptable to God? Well, I can be frank in that it's not. It's not acceptable to God. <laughs> but we are not without hope. So I want you to turn now to 1 John 4, uh, verse 7 specifically. And I'll have it also up there. Um, all right, 1 John 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. And if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So I know at least one other time my dad has mentioned the word propitiation. And some of you may already know what this means, but I am going to go back over it um, uh, one more time. So this is a, a pretty short definition of propitiation in terms of specifically Christianity. So a two-part act that involves both the appeasement of someone and the reconciliation back to them. And in this, we know Jesus was our propitiation because Jesus appeased the wrath of God through his death and then reconciled us back to God because we could never have done that, right? We, we know this. We were all sinners. We've all messed up. We couldn't ever do what Jesus did. Um, but I don't want you to, to start to, to skim over this idea, right? This propitiation idea. Um, Jesus did an amazing work for us, yet we often forget how amazing it really was. Because what Jesus did on that cross was something we could never have done. Now think about this, right? Because don't, don't gloss over mentally, all right? Because a lot of times, you know, we've heard this about five million times every Easter, right? Every Christmas. We hear Jesus was born, he died for our sins, we're saved. Ah, yay. No, that's not, it wasn't so yay for Jesus at the moment, was it? Jesus, Jesus suffered for hours. Before he even got to the cross, he suffered for hours. He was beaten, he was brutalized, he was mocked, he was spat on. Kicked, shoved, I mean, you name it, it probably happened to him. He had a crown of thorns shoved onto his head that was very clearly too small. It was not going to fit on his head even if it was big enough because of the thorns. And then he had that shoved onto his head. He suffered for so many hours before even getting to the cross. And what they made him do was they, they carried, he carried the cross to where he was going to die and get crucified, right? I mean, think about that. And that, that cross wasn't like a, you know, a, a paper mache sort of imitation that, that some people have up, up in their church. That was, it was big and it was heavy because it was real lumber. He carried that cross all the way to where he was going to die, and then they nailed him to it. And those nails weren't like the little nails that we think of. You know, these, were, these were stakes of metal <laughs> that they shoved through his hand into the wood. 
And then they shoved another one through both of his feet into the wood. Just think about that for a second. Don't let yourself gloss over that, all right? How badly that would have been. And then he sat up on that cross for even longer, just getting mocked and ridiculed by everybody that passed by, by the Roman soldiers, by, by, by the people in the town, everybody. Just think about that. And he didn't even just suffer physically. He suffered spiritually, didn't he? Because he had the entire sin of the, entire, the whole world that has ever lived, past, present, and future sin, sins that are not even committed yet, those sins are also on Jesus. Think about that, having all that sin put onto you, all that shame. Just think about that. Don't let yourself gloss over that, because that's so important. And then he also, God's face, imagine being in this situation, right? And then your dad turns your face from you. He doesn't help you. Right? Jesus sat there on his cross and it says, God turned his face from him. Just think about that. And you know, you know why he did all that? Because he loves you. Isn't that amazing? He, he didn't even just do it for the whole world, right? Because like, we know he did it for all Christians. He did it for the world. But he also did it. He would have done the exact same thing if it was just you that was the sinner. He would have done all of this just the same and been just as happy about doing it. Just think about that. When we sin, do we take it seriously? Just even the little sins. We're not talking about just like murder. We're talking about just the little sins, a little white lie here and there. Do we take that seriously? Because that adds to Jesus' suffering on the cross. Because that sin went on him. It's not coming back on us. It's, it's going to him. Do we even take the time to recognize it and ask for forgiveness? When was the last time you sat and got on your knees? Right? Jesus had to get on the cross. When was the last time you got on your knees? to ask for forgiveness for your sin, for what you did to Jesus. When we sin, we sin against the Christ who came to die for us. We neglect our responsibility to live like him. We're called to live like Christ and follow his example of love, to follow his example that, that he gave us of love. Yet we constantly forget that in favor of following our own fleshly desires. How shameful is that? That we follow, we would let something else take control instead of the Jesus who died for us, who suffered for hours on the cross. So what are we supposed to do, right? What are we supposed to do about this? How are we supposed to follow his example if we aren't perfect? Like, obviously, we're still going to mess up, right? Even if we know this, even if we were always thinking about how bad it was for Jesus, we would still, we would still mess up because we're humans. Christ is the propitiation for us and our sins. Past, present, and future, he died and took the punishment and the wrath of God so that we could live. Now, that's not just, you know, getting out of hell and going to heaven, right? That's not just a ticket, our ticket to heaven, right? That's, that's, he died so we could live for him. You know what he asked for us? What he asked from us in response to this is to fight against our flesh, to fight to live for him. Are you doing that? There's actually a quote that I have here um, by John Piper. Great guy. Uh, this is what he says about this, this topic. There is a mean, violent streak to true Christian life. Now, let's very carefully ask, all right, violence against whom or what? And notice here, he says, not other people three times. Not other people, not other people, not other people. Not Muslims, not Hindus, not Buddhists, not atheists not secularists, not nominal Christians, not wives or husbands or children or honorary bosses, 
but on every impulse in our soul, um, on every impulse in our soul to be violent to other people, violence, a mean streak in Christianity against our own selves and all in us that would make peace with sin and a settling in peacetime mindset. We make war on that in us. It is a violence against all lust in ourselves, all enslaving desires for food, caffeine, sugar, chocolate, alcohol, pornography, money, the praise of man, the approval of others, power, fame. This is our enemy, and this is where we make war. It is a violence against all racism. Oh, I don't think I have that part of the quote up there, but there's more to it. It is violence against all racism in our souls, all sluggish indifference to injustice in our souls, a violence against indifference to poverty and a difference to abortion in our own souls. That's all from John Piper. We're not called to sit blankly and live our lives how we want. When, did Jesus die so that you could just kind of sit around, go to church when you want, do whatever you feel like that day, you know? Oh, maybe I'll live for Jesus today. No, he didn't die for that. He died so, uh, so we could live for him. We're not called to just live till we get to heaven, Right? We're not called for that. We're called to wage war on our flesh and to fight against any desire that would take hold over Jesus. Did Jesus ever once live for himself? I, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find anything that looked similar to that. <laughs> Did he live to fulfill an earthly desire he had? Ever. Ever once. No. He never lived for money. He never lived for sex. He never lived for fame. Are you following that example? Are you even trying? Are you trying to follow that example at all? Are you trying to live like Jesus lived? Ultimately, sins are already forgiven, all right? We can know that with assurance. Our sins have been forgiven. They were put on Jesus on that cross. They were crucified with him. Our motivation is because Christ was so wonderful we keep pushing on to be like him. We keep pushing to ask ourselves, what would Jesus do? Because we want to live for Christ and like Christ because of what he has done for us. It's like John 13 and, and 1 John 4, the ones we were reading earlier. Uh, 1 John 4, verse 11 specifically. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. In John 13, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Christ set an example of love and serving. And because of how greatly he loved us, we also should love one another. We wage war on our selfishness and our fleshly pride and sin because Jesus has already shown so much love to us. In my last sermon, one of the things I really hit on was who is the king of your heart, right? Who is the, who is the ruler sitting on the throne of your heart? Uh, and I wanted to point out that if our own hearts, if, if we are controlling ourselves, if we are on our own, our own throne, then we are doomed to follow our own sin. We have to put Jesus there. Jesus has made it possible so that we can, and we have to do that. I want to ask you that question again today. Do you sit as ruler of yourself? Because if you do, you are not going to show love to others because you love yourself too much already. That's just an undeniable fact. If you're sitting on the throne of your heart, if you're looking out for yourself first and foremost, you're not going to show true love to others. 
Do you live for your selfishness, your complaining, your pride, your lust, your desires? Or are you going to let Jesus rule your heart? I would say that without him as the king of your heart, you're doomed for failure no matter who you're with or where you go. You're doomed for failure. You're never going to succeed in getting to heaven by, by living for yourself. You're never going to succeed in living for Jesus by living for yourself first. So let's take a step back for a minute, right? And let's, let's start to think about this. Uh, we've seen that Jesus, you know, he died for us so that we could live for him, right? We are cleansed of our sin in front of him. So how do we begin to do that? How do we, where do we even start with that? So say in the example of the, the annoying family member, right? This family member just is also, say, let's add to it, right? This family member is also tearing you down behind your back for being a Christian. Does that give you any right to be mad? Nope. What would Jesus do? He wouldn't be mad. He would want to help them. He would serve them. He'd be kind to them. He'd be loving to them. And what if, the, what if in the car situation, right? Like my situation this morning, where my car is, something is wrong with it. Do I have any right to be mad about that? No. What would Jesus do? Think about these things. Think about this. Ask yourselves this question every time something comes up. Does that, um, going back to the idea of, of waging war on your flesh and take time to ask yourself, am I doing this? Am I even trying to live like Jesus? Because sometimes we live in this little world, right? We live in this little world where we're constantly thinking like, oh yeah, I'm pretty good. Nothing bad's going on right now. You're not only really pressured to live for Jesus every moment of the day. Some people are in, in different countries. They, every time they step out of their house, they have to live for Jesus, right? So it's not as simple as walking out of here today saying like, yeah, I'm going to live for Jesus. And then just kind of keeping going with your life, right? It's not, it's not, it's not. It's not as simple as that, right? It's not as simple as just asking yourself a basic surface-level question. No, you have to fight against your flesh and take time to study Jesus' life. I mean, that sounds complicated to bring up the word study. He's like, you know, Sam, you're a college student. You study all the time. I'm telling you right now, I don't. <laughs> but I'm telling you right now also, that <laughs> now she's mad at me. <laughs> there, there have been thousands of people, thousands of people over, over generations that have worked to make this book one of the most accessible things you could ever get. This is more accessible than literally any other book in the entire world that has ever existed. You could get this anywhere. It's not even that much. It's like cheap. <laughs> I, I mean, I can't overstate this fact, though. Like this, this is easy to get, and this is easy to read. They've put this in, in so many different languages. There's like not even any challenge to opening this book and reading it, and yet we don't even do it. We don't. I mean, let's be honest with ourselves here, right? How many of you have faithfully opened up your Bible every single day for the past month, and you're not allowed to answer because you might have done it? I don't know. <laughs> I, I haven't. Have you? That's amazing. All right, can I just say that's amazing? Because that's not very often. That, that is not a common thing in today's Christianity. I, I struggle with this every day, opening up my Bible. And I don't. I fail all the time. Um, sorry, I've lost my place. <laughs> um, and in this book, right, in this book, for those of you who have opened it recently, there are four other books that are devoted to the life of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? 
This example that God gave us, it wasn't just like a cheap little like, oh yeah, Jesus was really good, just do that. No, he lived, they, they have detailed aspects of his life and how to respond to situations, all right? It's all in here, and it's easy to access book. Um, have you ever really like, appreciated that? Appreciated that fact that we can do what Jesus did, and God has enabled us to do this. Jesus died on the cross so we could. We just have to ask ourselves that question and find the answer to it in here, that question of what would Jesus do? No matter what you do or where you go or who you're with, we are called to follow Christ's example. If you're, if you're with friends from work who aren't Christians and you're worried about being made fun of, what do you do? Do you live for Christ? Well, what would Jesus do? He would. I mean, he was with people that weren't Christians all the time. And yet he still lived well. What would Jesus do? If you're in a secret place and no one else is around, what do you do? Do you live for Jesus or do you live for yourself? Follow Christ's example. Did he say it would ever be easy? No. Because if you think it's easy, then that's probably your first problem right there. <laughs> in fact, he said it would probably be the hardest thing you will ever have to do. Luke 9, 23 and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. I mean, Christ literally says it will be a daily struggle. This isn't a, a you know, once in a while, like, ah, I really feel like picking up my cross today and following him. No, it's not a once in a week thing when you come to church. It's, it's daily. We will pick up our struggles and our burdens daily and follow Jesus in the example he set. You know how I know this to be true? It's right here. That's where you can learn these things. Got a lot of useful facts in it. But it turns out, yeah, you learn a few things from reading God's word, including the fact that Jesus said it would not be easy. So that's what I want to leave you with today. Constantly ask yourselves, what would Jesus do? Not in just the big decisions where it seems important, and not in just the little decisions where it's not so important, but in everything. Don't feel like going to church in the morning. What would Jesus do? I mean, he is at church right now. Run out of patience with your coworker or family member. What would Jesus do? How would Jesus respond to them? Constantly ask yourself and remind yourself to focus on Jesus and live like him. And if you get stumped, go to the Bible. Learn how Jesus lived. Use that as your example. Jesus loved us enough to die for us. And he wants us to live for him and like him. So let's do that. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, this is hard to accurately say, God, but we, we cannot measure up to you. But I pray that you would give us the strength to wage war on our flesh, God. Help us to, to ask ourselves, what would Jesus do? And remember that it's not just a surface-level question, God. It's not just doing the right thing when we feel like it. It's not any of those things. But asking what would Jesus do is more than that. I pray that you would help us to, to remember this, God, to live like you because of what you did for us and how you lived for us. In your name, amen.